All right, our first passage is Luke chapter 8. Or, sorry, Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, which is 7 is right before 8. That's why I got confused. It's found on page 840 in your pew Bible. If you want to read there, it'll be on the screen. The, the story of Jesus being invited to a party at a Pharisee's house, Simon's house, and an unexpected guest of a, a woman of ill repute from the city. Hear the word of the Lord. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, "Uh, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If there's any main point of this passage and the other passages we'll look at in a little bit, it is this, that Jesus does not avoid sinners. Matter of fact, he does just the opposite. Jesus attracts them. He welcomes them. He goes to them. Takes the initiative to be in their midst. And receives them and forgives them. Jesus does not avoid sinners. Whether they are a Pharisee in their self-righteous, arrogant, haughty, smug sin... 
Or they're a woman of the city in her filthy sin. Jesus does not avoid either. Pharisee invited him to the house. Simon did and came to the party. Then the woman came on the scene as an uninvited guest. Now, when Simon, who'd invited Jesus there, they had the group around the table, Jesus probably reclining as they would have done in the first century. And in the first century, they'd, they'd have a group, sort of the inner circle, and they would have other people that maybe would just show up at the party. You'd be standing up in the back. But those people knew that they were invited to be there. But in the midst of that, a woman showed up who really should not have been there. And she knew it. Everybody knew it. I mean, it was the unwritten rule of the day that she shouldn't have been there. And what we'll find is that Jesus was glad she was there and Simon wasn't. What we'll find is that, that Simon, who's a religious leader of the day, you know, he's, the, he's a good guy, he's a good citizen, law and order kind of person, stayed out of trouble, avoided trouble, but we'll find that his heart was wrong. His theology was wrong. His trust was misplaced. For he trusted in himself and not in God. Well, what reveals that is that a woman comes in standing behind Jesus. Jesus is probably you know, lying down. He's lying down to eat, you know, like this. His feet are behind him. The woman comes behind him and there loses it. Now probably the woman had heard Jesus. Probably been, you know, at the revival on the corner of, you know, Olive and Vine at, you know, First Synagogue down the street the week before, you know, and, he, and he'd, she had heard Jesus say and, and it, it seen what he did and seen the miraculous works, had heard the words of forgiveness and had felt, experienced the work of the Spirit freeing her from what enslaved her. And in response to that, when she heard Jesus was in town and just down the street, she was willing to break through whatever cultural barriers they were to show up so she could be right behind him. She wasn't planning on losing it. As she got behind him, she just wept. Wept in her, her brokenness as it was being relieved by this wonderful teacher and, and had no towel. So then she had to break even more cultural taboo become even more authentic and take down her hair and there wipe his feet clean. And the tools of her trade she then used, redeemed. For the tools of her trade would have been the sweet fragrance that would have welcomed her customers. And in turn, she used that sweet fragrance and oil to anoint the feet of her Savior. As she wept, Washed, cleaned his feet. From afar, the Simon, the host, he would have looked, seen what was happening. And in his mind, was saying some truths and some falsehoods. If he's a prophet, if he's a prophet, then he would know he would know who 
is touching him. If he's from God, he would never be defiled in such a grotesque way. If he's from God, he would never allow that to happen. He would separate himself from such evil and would not risk being made unclean by such inappropriate action. Simon was right that Jesus did know who she was. Knew exactly who she was. He was wrong. And it was for those kind of actions were the very reason that Jesus came. Jesus does not separate himself from sinners. He does not separate himself from evil. He does not protect himself from that which is unclean, from that which is wrong. Matter of fact, he jumps right into it. Jesus He hears what Simon is saying. He hears it. He understands what Simon is saying to himself, what Simon is thinking. So he says, Simon, let me tell you a little story. He tells the little parable of the two debtors who were forgiven their debt. The word for forgiven is the word charis that we, many of you know, is a word that means grace. They were graced from their debt. And then, Jesus asked Simon, so Simon, which, which one of those, which one of those do you think will love the creditor more? Simon, again, he knows. He understands these things. Well, the one who was forgiven more will love more. Right? Right you are, Simon. Next question. The one who is graced the most will love the most. Now let's just think about that in the terms of even a little formula. In a way, we receive love, we receive the grace of God, we receive the forgiveness of God in direct proportion to the amount of sin that we confess. Not the amount of sin that we do, the amount of sin that we confess. The more we confess our sin before God, the more grace we receive. Both the woman and the Pharisee are in the same boat. It's just that the woman realizes what boat she's in and the Pharisee doesn't. so much goes against the grain of the way of the world or the way that at least that I'm caught it is, it is within me my, a lot of my energy is avoiding admitting that I'm wrong 
somehow justifying myself, somehow making myself look innocent, working hard to make all A's. Because somehow I catch that that's what gives me value. But Jesus frees us from that. He says, no. I'm not impressed by any of that. I don't want to separate myself from you at all. I want to enter into the midst of your sin. I want to forgive you all of it. I want to forgive you much so that you will love much. That's why every Sunday... We rehearse the same actions of of confession, of receiving that forgiveness and then sharing that peace with one another. Celebrating the amount of forgiveness that we receive in Christ. Jesus then, after telling the story... Gets with Simon. Says, Simon, look at how this woman is demonstrating all that she's been forgiven. That's what she's doing. Now, I've, I've come into your house. You didn't give me water. She used the water from her very tears to cleanse my feet. You haven't anointed me with oil. She used the very treasure of her trade to anoint my feet. Simon, you haven't submitted to me, surrendered to me, or received my love. You've refused it. She, on the other hand, has submitted to me, surrendered to me, and received the fullness of my love. And it shows. Jesus does not avoid sinners. He looks for them. He welcomes them. He attracts them and He forgives them. Now I wonder for you, can you relate to the woman? Are there ways that you feel like you're on the outside looking in? Broken with God. That God doesn't like you? That God's ready for you to Turn things around, and until you do, he'll be displeased with you. Are are you tired of trying to live the ways of the world? Jesus welcomes you, he welcomes you just as he welcomes that woman. Jesus wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. All of it. You don't need to weep and cry. You don't need to wash His feet. It's simply an act of receiving His forgiveness. Of receiving His love. As we've been singing about. As we've been talking about all morning. There is no entrance exam. There are no requirements. Simply come to Him. Receive the fullness of His love for all of your brokenness and sin. It's a lie to think you have to accomplish something 
to earn His love. It is a lie. I think the greatest lie of the evil one in our midst to think there is something you have to do but simply receive His love. Turn with me to Luke 18. Here is a similar parable, a similar story that highlights the same thing. I think it's so hard for us to handle, so hard to believe it's true. Luke includes all kinds of passages to say the same thing. Chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. People were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. Keep them quiet. Get them out of here. That's added that. (laughs) But Jesus called for them. Said, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Picture that. It would have been in a, probably a worship service, a morning gathering where the, the Levites were gathered around. They would be given the morning atonement sacrifice. And the Pharisee would have come up front. And you know, the passage says, spoke to himself. Could just as easily said that he spoke by himself. Because it was most common in the first century to pray out loud. And so this Pharisee would have come up front during the worship service and said, Dear God, thank you that I'm not like him and her. Thank you that when I give the offering, I give a full tenth even before taxes. And thank you that I fast and do all the spiritual disciplines unlike others. Even more than you require. In front of them all. And the the tax collector. Now this, this guy is your patron saint if you sit in the back row. The tax collector is your patron saint, Kim, just for you, yeah. And even more so if you're silent and still and head bowed. Now, if you're sleeping, that's another thing. But he would have been in the back, sort of huddled in the back, and there he would have been beating his breast over and over. An uncommon act, but not unusual. For in the first century, the understanding was that the heart was the seat of evil, And so he would have been in the back beating the evil metaphorically out of his heart. Recognizing how broken he was. Recognizing the evil within him. And 
weeping in tears, broken in his heart, beating his heart, saying, God, forgive me for I'm a sinner. There is evil within me and I don't want it in me. The religious leader, sorry to say, the people like us, standing in front, the guy that didn't venture into the gathered community very often, just snuck into the back. And Jesus used a really powerful word. The only time Jesus uses this word, it's often found in Paul. That man back there, he left justified. In our language, he left saved. The one up here didn't. The one back there that had done nothing wrong, nothing right, except fall down before God Almighty and receive His mercy, mercy, left saved. The one who gave his list of accomplishments of all that he had done, left not knowing God. That's good news. That's really good news. That we don't have to be smart enough, strong enough, good enough. Because Jesus already is. It is simply our act to receive His love. To recognize we are broken. Like a tax collector. Like a woman. Or that we are in the first century day Meaningless, useless, like a baby. In the first century, not many babies survived. Babies were really, they were a problem. They ate. They may not return it. Once they got to a certain point, then they were active. They could work on the farm. They could do the work. Then they were worth something. But until that time, they were really a nuisance. And look who the citizens of the kingdom are. A woman of the night, a filthy rich tax collector, and a bunch of useless ones. Those are the citizens of the kingdom. Those are the ones that Jesus welcomed, that the Pharisees and even the disciples tried to distance Jesus from them. If you are feeling distant from God. That is not Jesus' desire. Well, you don't know, Pastor. Yeah, the, the woman may have made a few mistakes. I mean, tax collectors, they got to do their job. And babies, they are cute and adorable. No. I may not know, but Jesus does. And there is no distance that Jesus will not travel. There is no human being that Jesus will not welcome. I want you to think about that. There is no human being that Jesus will not welcome into His presence, that Jesus will not attract. None. There is no evil into which Jesus will not enter in order to rescue us from our sin. 
He will go all the way to the cross. That's the revolution. That's the revolution of love. That the revolutionary will go all the way to the cross. That he will enter the mess, the evil, with everybody and anybody, no matter what. I know, here's the emotional shocking statement. Even if you murder a 13-year-old, Jesus is not distanced from such evil. He enters right into the midst of it. In our community the last several weeks, we've had a whole lot of stuff that would cause us to distance ourselves from others. Would call us to act out of anger and fear rather than this revolutionary love. Whether it's the innocent murder 13-year-old, whether it's a, a friend that takes his own life, whether it's of two bank robberies, whether it's of two shootings at a store right up the street, just in our communities, whether it's being in a city that is the third or fourth poorest city in the country, where a third of our children live in poverty, or whether it's in a nation who's going through one of the most difficult economic times in modern history. Jesus enters into all of that mess. He enters into all of that evil. I can't begin to explain or wonder how or why that can happen. But I know He's there. Because He showed us that on the cross. And I know He's in the midst of it with those who have suffered. Who have suffered such loss and grief and pain. Jesus refuses to separate Himself from evil. He refuses to keep a safe distance. He refuses to protect himself. He refuses to keep himself clean. He jumps right in and is willing to die. For you, if that's where you are, lost in the midst of such pain and suffering, you don't even need to invite Jesus in. Just look for him because he's already there. He refuses to separate himself from anyone or any place. This this step on our journey is to reset once again just how deep is the love of Jesus. It is so deep, so powerful that he refuses to reject anyone that will come to him. He refuses to call anyone who is created in the image of God a lost cause. He refuses to call any place of evil, as deep and grotesque as it might be, He refuses to avoid that place. Wherever, wherever we might find ourselves, in whatever evil that be surrounded or even within us. Jesus is there.
Jesus is ready to forgive. To take his love as deep as you're willing for him to go. And our our simple yet difficult response is to receive that forgiveness. To receive that love as a child. A child who simply receives whatever comes their way. That's why it works really well to have dedication of three children. Three children that aren't aware necessarily of what's going on around them. But who simply will go wherever the one who's holding them takes them. Who simply will receive the the food they receive. The food that is given to them. As a child, we receive the kingdom. As we receive these children now. So a few uh, Kirshners, Martins want to come on forward and continue to be an illustration, possibly. Also invite Chris Dumford. Y'all come on up here. Just line up right here. We get to dedicate Ava and Grace and Abby before God. And they simply bright-eyed, yeah, wondering, what is this guy doing? Receive this love even without understanding it. Even without knowing it. What a miraculous, what a deep, powerful love that can touch a child They can barely control what they touch. They just grab whatever you put in their hands. Right? That's how we, whether it's hair or whether it's a finger. (laughs) That's how we receive that that same love. That same love. Hey, Ava. That powerful love of God that can touch even a child. Who knows it or doesn't know it. Let's take uh, this time. And Chris, if you would pray for us. Yeah. And offer these children unto God's deep, deep abiding love. Let's pray. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, for these parents, Christian and Jeff and Brian and Missy, we pray for wisdom patience, and unconditional love as they model the grace and truth of Jesus to these children. Strengthen and protect their marriages. For us, the church, we ask that you would equip and enable us to be the Christian community in which these children thrive in their faith. Hold us accountable in our responsibility to support these parents, to love, teach, and nurture these children. And finally, we pray for these three girls. God, You know the plans you have for Ava, Grace, and Abby, plans to prosper them, 
and not to harm them, plans to give them hope and a future. Cause them to call upon you and come and pray to you, and then listen to them, O Lord. Let them seek you with all their hearts and find you when they do seek you. We pray this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you for being a great illustration for how to receive God's love. Yeah. And even show a little joy. As they return back to their seats, we continue in a spirit of dedication, in a time of prayer, where I invite you in this time of prayer to respond to God.